We're going to worship God again in the Word, so go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're in a series called Kings and Kingdoms. And so in this series, what we're going to find out is that Israel, they were sinful, and Israel wasn't satisfied, and in their sinfulness and in their unsatisfaction, they made a very bold and a very disastrous demand of God. They said, we want a king, and we're really going to see that today. In 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, today is really all about trust. You know, uh, how many of you parents have, have had to teach your kids how to drive? Any parents in here? Uh, how many of you, like, you, you were a nervous wreck those first? Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know why, but you know, Jonah, he, he's been driving for a while now, and Jonah likes to say, hey, Dad, I'm driving. I don't know why Mar- Marty gets in the back seat. Like every time, like she's getting in the back seat. And she says, it's, it's because you can teach him better in the front seat. I, is that truth? I don't know. Because she still tries to teach from the back seat. I think she just feels safer in the back seat. Like there's going to be less damage in the back seat than the front seat. And she, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm going to use that as a, maybe... Marty doesn't trust Jonah quite that much yet. Maybe she has a lack of trust. It reminds me of a story, and I think maybe I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it with you again. Paul Tan Lee, he wrote a story in the Encyclopedia of 7,700 Great Illustrations. So this is a true story, and he shared it in this book. Listen to what he said. He said, in 1860, a great crowd gathered to watch the famous tightrope walker, Blondin, go across the Niagara Falls. He had crossed it many times before, a thousand feet across and 160 feet above the raging waters. On this day, Blondin not only walked across the Niagara Falls, but he pushed a wheelbarrow in front of him. After he completed this feat, Blondin noticed a young boy who was staring at him with amazement. And he asked the little boy, do you believe that I can take a person across the Niagara Falls inside this wheelbarrow without falling? And the little boy said, yes, sir, I do believe you can do that. So Blondin said, well, hop in. Would anybody volunteer for that? It's kind of like, hey, we want to take the bus, but you got to choose between Jeremy or Jeff or Brandon or Mike Purcell to drive you. It's like you putting your life in somebody else's hands. That's not fun, is it? Right? We like to, we like to do things ourselves. We're, we're not very good with trust. But here's the thing. You trusted that pew when you sat down this morning, didn't you? And some of you on the front, you really trust these pews. Because then things is a little loose. I ain't going to lie to you. Okay? But you didn't even think about it. Think, think about how many things you do trust and how many things you don't trust. And think about your trust in God. Because what we're going to see today in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is we're going to see Israel struggle with their trust, or should I say, their lack of trust in God. So what is trust? If I were to ask you to define trust, how would you define it? Uh, as, and how many of us would, would like to talk about our trust in God out loud in front of everybody? Right? How many of you would like to show people your trust, right? When people ain't watching, when, when, when you're at the house by yourself or when you're in the car by yourself, how many of you would like to just openly display your trust or your lack of trust in God? 
probably not many of us would, would want that known. So let me help you with trust. The Holman Bible Dictionary says this about trust. It says, throughout Scripture, faith is the trustful human response to God's self-revelation via His words and His actions. God initiates the relationship between Himself and human beings, and He expects people to trust Him. Failure to trust Him was, in essence, the first sin, that sin that we see in Genesis chapter 3. How many of you know that great book of faith, that great chapter of faith in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, right? We love that chapter because it talks about trust. It talks about faith. Well, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, which is trust, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So I want to ask you two questions, and these are two questions that I want you to think about as we read the Scriptures today. Number one, do we completely trust the Lord? Do we completely trust the Lord? Or do we kind of trust the Lord? Do we sort of trust the Lord? I think probably most of us are in that kind of and sort of, or we're trying to get to that place of complete trust. But, but think about it. Do we completely trust the Lord? Here, here's a better way of asking If God was pushing a wheelbarrow across a tightrope on Niagara Falls, would you get in the wheelbarrow? It's a fair question, right? Not only that, is the Lord truly your king today? Is the Lord truly your king? Is he the king of your heart? Is he the king of your life? Because that's what Israel is struggling with. That's what Israel has been struggling with, and we're fixing to see it manifested today in a statement that they make to Samuel, the prophet. Listen to this, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, so he made them sub-judges, if you will, underneath him. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Sounds a lot like Eli's sons, right? In in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli's sons. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, listen to this, such as all the other nations have. Appoint us a king such as all the other nations have. But when they said, right, when they said this, give us a king to lead us, it displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. So so let's set the stage here, right? Israel has been struggling already in their sin. They, They are sinful before God. They've been sinful. The time of the judges was not good. And they're moving into this time of kings, if you will. If you'll remember, First and Second Samuel, that's what it is. It's a transition between the time of judges to the time of kings. But, but listen, it, it wasn't the judges that was the problem. And it ain't going to be the kings that's the problem. It's the hearts of the people that's the problem. It's the sin 
of every man and every woman that is the problem, a judge, a king, a citizen. And so in their sinfulness, right, in their sinfulness, they believe, they believe that they can be better and can do better. But they want a king such as all the other nations have. And so where did this come from? Well, Samuel's sons were leaders. That's what the Bible says. Samuel had appointed Joel and Abijah to be leaders in Israel. But guess what? Those leaders failed them. Why? Because it says they were corrupt. I said this just a few minutes ago. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, Eli's two sons were, you know, sub-judges, if you will, sub-priests, if you will. And guess what? The Bible called them scoundrels. Scoundrels. They were disobedient and they were corrupt. And now here we see Samuel, a man of God, and his sons are described much the same way. And so their poor leadership negatively impacts the nation of Israel, and it leads them to make a very bold and dangerous request. There's a book um, that I gave out to many people. We, we had people that bought a bunch of these books, and we gave them out. It was, it's called Design to Lead. If you are a leader uh, in the church, if you're a leader uh, in your business place, in your school, if you're a leader and, and, and you want to read a good book, I'm, I'm going to recommend Designed to Lead. That is a great book. And in that book, here's what Geiger and Peck, Peck say. The great tragedy of our leadership is not the lack of our leading, but rather it is the corruption of its noble purpose from God. In other words, we're not lacking leaders. We're lacking noble leaders, leaders of integrity because the leaders who are leading are corrupt. That, that's the problem. It's not a lack of leadership that's a problem. It's a lack of noble leadership and leadership with integrity. People who are leading because they are in a relationship with God and they're vessels of what God is giving. And so it's not a lack of leadership that's the problem. It's the corrupt leadership that's the problem. And look, Samuel's sons were corrupt. And Israel had had enough. They had seen the corruption of leadership time and time again. And so what happens? The elders of Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king. But here's the problem. They wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted a king like the other nations around them. Think about what the elders were asking Samuel to do. They already had a king. Do you understand that? There was already a king on the throne. The Lord was their king. He was their king. And so, if you'll remember this, God called Israel to be his children. He called them to be holy and to be distinct from the nations around them. Do you understand that? He had called them and set them apart from the other nations. Don't don't just take my word for it. Listen to this. Leviticus chapter 20, uh, verses 22 through 24 says this. This is God speaking to his children. Keep all my decrees and my laws. Follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Mm. You must not live according to their customs. You must not live according to the customs of the nations that I'm going to drive out before you. Because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I said to you, so he's talking directly to his children. The king of kings, the Lord of lords is talking to his children. He says, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance. A land flowing with milk and honey. 
I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. So, so do we understand that God is king and he has called Israel to be his children and he has told them you will be holy. You will be holy. You will be different than the nations around you. The nations that I'm going to drive out, I'm going to give you this land and you're going to be set apart. That's what God said to his children. Uh, to his children. So the Israelites, they were frustrated with the corruption of their leadership. They were frustrated with all of the military defeats that had been handed to them by all of these foreign nations. And instead of turning to God in trust, instead of showing their faith in God, they made a rebellious demand of God's servant. Because here's the truth. What they asked Samuel was rebellion. What they asked Samuel to do was rebellion. They did not trust the Lord their God completely. They were not surrendered completely to the Lord their God. They said, you know what? We're going to take matters in our own hands. So Samuel, appoint us a king. Appoint us a king like that nation. Appoint us a king like that nation. Those nations have whipped us, so we need a king like they have so that we can whip them. We don't trust. We don't trust God anymore. Let me tell you something. Frustration can it lead, can very easily lead to distraction. Do you hear me? You better be careful with your frustration. Anybody here ever get frustrated? Right? Wives, do you ever get frustrated with your husbands? I'm not even going to ask husbands because I don't want to get you in trouble, husbands. Mamas and daddies, do you ever get frustrated with your children? Oh, oh look, I didn't ask you to raise hands. Don't. Anyway, anyway, yeah, don't, don't get yourself in trouble, mom and daddy, with kids. And kids, don't, 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 get, don't get frustrated either, right? Listen, frustration, it's a, it's a natural thing. We all get frustrated, but you better be careful with your frustration. You better not let your frustration get the best of you because frustration can lead to distraction. And do you know what the enemy Satan loves to do to God's people? He likes to distract them. He likes them to take their eyes off of God. He likes for them to forget their God. He likes for them to forget who they are. So he distracts them. And frustration can lead to distraction. You see, when we're frustrated, what we can do is we can allow our feelings to override our faith. Did you hear that? We can allow our feelings to override our faith. And so therefore, we can start making judgments based on how we feel rather than how we faith. And you're going, wait a minute, how you faith? Are you making faith a verb? Yes, I am, because in the Hebrew language, faith is a verb. It's not just a noun. It's not just something you possess. It's something you do. See, the word faith means to trust. It means to wholeheartedly trust, to believe. And so if we're not careful, frustration leads to distraction, and distraction causes us to live and make judgments based on feeling rather than faith. We can easily very easily miss the opportunities that God gives us to repent of our sin, our our opportunities to pray to Him, our opportunities to walk in obedience to Him, our opportunities to trust God more and more. Instead, what happens is frustration leads to distraction, distraction leads to sin, and sin leads to broken fellowship with God. Broken fellowship with God, which means we don't hear Him anymore and we don't see Him anymore. It don't mean that God's gone. It means that we've turned our back on Him. We've turned our back on Him. 
And when we turn our back on him and we're focused on the things that Satan wants us to be focused on, we can't hear God. And we can't see God. So guess what we assume? God's left us. God's abandoned us. Well, I'll just take care of it myself. You see how that happens? Listen, this is not just an Israel problem. This is a this is a start problem. This is a Louisiana problem. This is a United States of America problem. And so Samuel heard this, right? They go to Samuel and they make a very bold and dangerous command. We want a king like all the other nations want. So how did Samuel respond? Well, the Bible says Samuel was displeased with their demand. But let me just tell you something about Samuel because we learned something very important about Samuel. Instead of arguing with them, what did Samuel do? He prayed. I'm going to stop right here, leaders. We can learn a whole lot from this passage right here. Instead of arguing, instead of trying to get my way or to make them shut up, Samuel was displeased. He didn't like what they were saying. He didn't like what they were requesting. But it says he prayed. He could have very easily fought back with his words. In fact, guess what? Samuel still judge of all of Israel. He, he's one of the only ones that, that we know of that was given that jurisdiction. All of Israel. He was a judge over all of Israel. It says that time and time again in this book. However, what we see in Samuel is that his faith was overriding his feelings. So even though he was displeased, he didn't respond out of his displeasure to the people. Instead, he turned to his God. He trusted his God. The people may have thought Samuel was getting old because it says, Samuel, hey, you're getting old. They may have thought he was slipping in his old age because guess what? Eli slipped in his old age, didn't he? Couldn't see, couldn't hear, wouldn't respond to his sons. So they thought, well, Samuel's going to be just like Eli. So we'll tell Samuel what's up. But the difference is, Samuel loved the Lord and he obeyed the Lord. He prayed. So watch this, beginning in verse 7. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke. Watch this. The Lord told him, listen. You see that word? Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. Do you see that? He didn't just say listen one time. He said it twice. Listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So, so this, is a, this is a very interesting pas- uh, passage of Scripture. And I'm going to be honest with you. I read this passage of Scripture and God spoke to me as a leader. God, God spoke to me as a leader in my home. God spoke to me as a leader in this church, as a leader in this community. Because, because watch this. The Lord called Samuel to listen. We're so quick to speak, aren't we? We're so quick to, to fight back. We're so quick to say whatever we want to say. But the Lord called Samuel to listen to the people. And then he said, warn them. Did he say, fight them? Is that what it says? Did he say, fight the people? No. He said, listen to them and warn them. This is really good. Uh, Before the extremely successful businessman, Stephen Covey, wrote his book, 
The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody ever read that book? It's a good book. The, the Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Book. Listen to this. Stephen Covey, he wrote this in his book, but I think he got it from God because God wrote it first. Listen to what he wrote in his book, right? See, God told Samuel to be a good listener. Here's what Stephen Covey wrote in his book. He said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Yikes. Like you talk about throwing a knife in my chest. You want me to read that again? He said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Rather, they listen with the intent to reply. That's dangerous. Samuel was displeased. He knew that the Lord was displeased. But instead of immediately replying to the request of the elders of Israel, Samuel said, I'm going to pray. I wonder how many of us would do that, right? Somebody comes up and makes a, a dangerous and bold request to us, and we're displeased, right? We can see, we can just see the, the, the disobedience and the sin all over it. How many of us are just wanting to just hit them, right? Hit them. Maybe not with our fist, or maybe so, but how many of us just want to pound them with our words? The first response, I'm just going to reply. God told Samuel, listen to him. Listen to what they're saying to you. He told him twice, listen to them. And then he said, after you've listened to them, warn them. Don't fight them. Don't, don't, don't reject them. Don't turn them away. Warn them. Warn them with the words that I'll give you. So God told him not only what to respond, but how to respond. And so what he reminded Samuel of real quick here, and this is something we need to understand. So many people today, you know why they're afraid of telling other people about Jesus? You know why they're afraid of telling other people about what God has done in their lives? They're afraid people are going to reject them. They're they're afraid that people are just going to reject them, laugh at them, right? That's why so many people find it hard to share the Lord with other people, especially lost people. They're afraid of rejection. But the Lord reminded Samuel that the people had rejected him as their king, not Samuel. Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They've rejected me as their king. And because they've rejected me as their king, you are my prophet. They're going to reject what you say. In in essence, hey, Samuel, don't take it personal. I'm the one that's taking it personal. You just keep serving me. You just keep listening to me. You just keep doing what I tell you to do. Because it's me that they have rejected as king. And so this is what happens. And I'm going to read a lengthy passage here, so buckle up hang on, okay? Listen to this, starting in verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. Did you notice that? Samuel told all the people the words of who? The Lord. Did Samuel tell them what he wanted to tell them? No, he told them what the Lord said. Not what Samuel said, not what Samuel may have wanted to say. He told them the word of the Lord. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground 
plow his ground, reap his harvest, and steal others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves." When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's pretty devastating, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. Would that get your attention? Okay, it would get my attention. But you know what's bad? Verse 19. Look at it. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then, look at it, we will be like all the other nations. We will be like all the other nations. They quickly forgot what the Lord their God, Almighty King, had told them back in Leviticus. You will be my people and I will be your God. You will be separate. You will be distinct from all these other nations. How quickly we forget our good God. Amen? We do. How quickly we forget. Then will we be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They already had a king that fought their battles. They already had a king that said to them in Exodus 14, 14, you need only be still, the Lord will fight for you. How many of us forget that today? Right? We pick up the armor and we pick up the the weapons that we've chosen, that we've bought, that we've paid for, and we think we're going to go out and fight our battles and win. Man, the devil's got us distracted, don't he? Because we forget the promise that God made in Exodus 14, 14 is the promise that is true today. You want to know why? Because my God's the same. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And so the promise that he gave those Israelites in Exodus 14, I believe he gives his children today. Do we believe it? Don't answer that that fast. You better listen first and pray. Do we believe that? Or do we pick up the weapons and fight ourselves? Weapons that we believe will win the war. We got a big bank account. We got lots of friends. We got a big family. I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm going to tell you something. When they become your idol, it's bad. It's wrong. Verse 21, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, this is, this is hard. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. So here's the truth of this passage. The Israelites were warned by Samuel about their demand for a king. They were warned. Samuel did not bite at them. He did not attack them. He did not fight. He did not stand up there and get vicious with them because he was displeased or angry. He simply warned them with the words of the Lord. He warned them, but they refused to listen to God. They refused. This was a willful 
act of disobedience to God. It was a conscious choice of rebellion against God. They rejected God and said, no, we will do it. We want a king, and we'll let that king that we have chosen fight our battles. God warned them through Samuel that this king would definitely lead them like other nations. He would be a taker, not a giver. Did you hear that? He would be a taker, not a giver. You want to know what this king would be? He would be served and not truly served. In this passage of Scripture, God has given you a good, good illustration of what an earthly king looks like as opposed to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. See, in this passage, the earthly king is a taker. The earthly king is one who is going to be served. The earthly king is one who will have slaves. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords who is Jesus Christ, oh, he would be a giver. And he himself would say, I come to serve, not to be served. This is so, so important. They might get their weapons. They might get a victory here and a victory there. But you know what? It's going to cost them. It's going to cost them. The way this king, right? The way this king they wanted is described in great contrast to King Jesus, whom they already had. They had Almighty God. They had the Lord. How many times? I ask myself this question. How many times have I been warned by God's Word? How many times have I been warned by God's Spirit, and I still refuse to listen. How many times has God's Word told me, Jeff, don't go there. Jeff, don't do that. How many times has the Holy Spirit of God convicted me and let me know before my sin that that is sin? And I said, no. I want it my way right away. Right? We call that what? Burger King. Man, they ought to be making all kind of money off of me right now. Unless you just don't like greasy burgers and greasy onion rings. We are Burger King people. What's sad is, verse 22, that's what's sad. Because God allowed Samuel to give them the king that Israel wanted. Did you know this? I I think maybe you do. Over the next 450 years, Israel would have 43 kings. 43 kings. And did you know that in the Bible, only eight of those 43 kings were described as good? Eight. Anybody want to do the math? Here, let me just go and tell you. That's not good percentages. That's not good. Out of 43 kings, only eight of them were described as good. And listen to me. They weren't perfect. They weren't perfect. Go back and look at it. Matter of fact, none of them were. Dr. David Jeremiah says this in his commentary. God sometimes lets people have their way so that they will one day recognize their great need for Him. God sometimes lets people have their way so they will one day recognize their great need for Him. God responded to Israel's rebellious demand by allowing them to have their king. And, of course, we're fixing to see this. Their king is a really good-looking man. 
Their king is a really tall, bowed up man. Right? Anybody want to know what his name is? First king of Israel? Saul. Anybody want to tell me how that went for Israel? <laughs> Not good. They got a king like the other nations. Matter of fact, they got one prettier and bigger and better than all the other nations. And guess what? They got what they asked for, and it wasn't good. So I want to ask you this question, right? You've had two questions in your mind. Do I completely trust the Lord? Is the Lord truly the king of my life, the king of my heart? So, so you've been thinking about those questions, and we see the struggle that Israel is having in their relationship with God. So here's the question. Why do we struggle? Why do we struggle with our trust in God? Why do we struggle? Think about it. Why do you struggle in trusting God with your bank account? Why do you struggle in trusting with God with your health? Why do you struggle in trusting with God uh, in, 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 in ministry? Why do we struggle in our trust with God? I, I think I've got a pretty good answer here. I'll tell you why. It's because we're sinful. That's really the answer. The reason you and I struggle in completely trusting God is because we are sinful. We are sinners. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And when God doesn't deliver, guess what? We poke out our lip. Right? How many of you mamas and daddies had children that you said no to and they stomped their foot? Anybody got that? Right? How many of you mamas and daddies, you saw your little babies, that little tear, little eyes, tear up, tears are falling out of their face and you're please, I just want it. Like, the only reason I can do that is because I tried with my mama and my daddy. So I speak from great experience. And I also come from the other side and know that this little girl right here can kick her foot and poke her little lip out. And there's a little boy in here somewhere who can, well, his little eyes well up. Daddy, everybody else. Look, I know from experience, right, on both sides of that fence. And here's what's sad. Every one of us do that to God all the time. Let me tell you why we struggle in our trust with God. Because we want the comforts from God, but with our control of God. That's the truth. We want God to bless us, but we want God to bless us like we want to be blessed. When we want to be blessed, how we want to be blessed. That's why we struggle with our trust with God. God, you didn't do it when I wanted you to. God, you didn't do it like I wanted you to. Oh, we want, we want God because we want that power and we want them blessings, but we want God to work for us. That's what we want. We want a king like we want, not the king that we need. We want God to cater to our demands, right, instead of humbly depending upon Him and humbly and completely trusting Him. Pastor J.D. Greer, I love Pastor J.D. Greer. He's a fiery kind of guy. And uh, he's a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, so he and I have that in common. But we also love the Lord. But Pastor J.D. Greer said this in one of his sermons. I wrote it down because it was so good. Pastor J.D. Greer said this, The Israelites didn't reject God outright. It was a subtle rejection. They always said, God, yes, we want you. But we need a guarantee. Did you hear that? We want a guarantee. There are two ways, this is what Pastor J.D. Greer says, there are two ways to reject God. One is to, to reject Him outright. 
But the other is to say you will follow him but not really depend upon him. That too is rejection. It is still rebellion to claim to follow God but to insist on another of other things to be present in your life so that you can feel secure. This is not just an Israelite problem. This is a me problem. That's some powerful words right there. Oh, God, I want you, but God, I want you to do what I want, how I want, when I want. God, don't forget, you know, I'm the king of my life. Yeah, you're the king of the world, but I'm the king of my life. And, and I trust you, God, a little bit. I really do. I think you're a good God. But, but if you don't do this for me, then you, you ain't as good as I thought. You know what complete trust is? You know what complete trust is? Complete trust is complete surrender. That's what it is. Complete trust is complete surrender. To completely trust in God means to completely surrender to God. That's not Jeff. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. You ready? John 12, 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's Jesus. Let let me tell you something. The first two words for life, when he says anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world, that word life, it's the word suke. It refers to existence in the world. That's what it means. Existence. However, when he says if you hate your life in this world, you will keep it for eternal life. Oh, it's a different word. It's the word Zoe. And the word Zoe means spiritual life. That's what it means. Do you know how many people are walking around in this world and all they're doing is existing? Do you know that? Some of us in this room might be doing that right now. You know what Billy Graham says? Billy Graham says more people sitting in the seats of the church are lost than they are saved and they they just don't know it because they're not dependent upon God. They're dependent upon Sunday school records or tithes or they're dependent on mom and daddy or they're dependent on grandma or grandpa or they're dependent upon pastor to save them. That's a whole other sermon. What kind of life do you have? Do you have this suke, which means to merely exist, to breathe in and to breathe out? Or do you have Zoe? Do you have spiritual life? Because when Jesus said, I have come to give you life, full, abundant, he wasn't using the word suke. He was using the word Zoe. He wants you to have life that never ends, eternal life. That is why he came. That is why he served. That is why he gave. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus. So I, I hope today... I hope today I haven't hurt you, right? I hope today I haven't offended you. But I hope more than anything I've just given you something to think about. Because I sure have been thinking about it. Because I had to step back and go, okay, where am I in my trust with God? And what I have found is that I'm struggling. I'm struggling much like the Israelites. As long as God's working things out for me, God, I love you. But as soon as it gets dark, and as soon as it gets hard, I'm going, God, where are you? <laughs> God, why is this happening? God, why, why, why? It sounds a lot like wah, wah, wah. 
And again, God never promised us that it's going to be easy and comfortable in this life. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, you'll find out real fast. When you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and you call Him Lord and you call Him King, the world's coming against you. It's sandpaper to the wood. You hear me? It's sandpaper to the wood. It's fixing to, it's fixing to hurt. And so I hope today, I hope today that if you're not where you want to be in your walk with the Lord, if today you're not in a place where you're completely trusting the Lord, my prayer is, is that you will humble yourself before Him and just be honest, God, I'm struggling right now because I don't understand. God, this hurts and I don't want it to hurt, but God, I trust You. And if You call me to get in the wheelbarrow, on this little bitty rope to get a thousand feet over there on the land and I'm looking down and, and I don't want to fall because I ain't going to make it. But God, if you want me to get in the wheelbarrow to go across these raging waters that, are, that will kill me, if you want me to get in the wheelbarrow and, and ride this tightrope that you call life, to where you want me to go, God, I'll do it. It's hard for me, but I'll do it. Listen to me. God says, come to Him. Come to Him. His, his burden is light, right? His yoke is easy. He says, I'll give you the rest. I'll give you what you need if you'll just come to me. So listen, if you're struggling in your relationship with God, I'm not asking you to feel bad about yourself. I, I'm not trying to convict you and make you turn away from God. You know what I'm doing? I'm asking you to just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life right now and just say, God, here's where I am. Here's where I am. I, I know it's not where you want me to be, and God, I desperately want to be there. And so, God, I know to get there, I have to completely trust you. I have to completely surrender. That means I have to let go of some things that I want control of. So, so th this, this is whatever the Lord's calling you to do today. And look, you may be ready to hit these altars. You may be ready to pray about it right now. You may be still having to, having to think and having to listen. And that's fine. No judgment here. No condemnation here. I just pray you don't walk out of here refusing to listen to what God has said. Because the Israelites did that. And for 450 years, they struggled. Not just... Not just in their relationship with God, they struggled. And they sinned, and it was devastating. You go read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Go see how pretty that is. That's, that's ugly passages of Scripture. Not because of God, but because of sinful man who refused to listen when God was speaking. Please don't walk out of this building refusing to listen to God. If you need to repent, repent today. You can do that right where you are. You can do that in this altar. You can do that privately. You can do that publicly. You listen to God. Today you might need to say, I have never trusted in the King of kings. I'm a Lord of lords with my life. So today I want to get that right. Today you may want to completely surrender for the very first time. You can do that. You can do that through your prayer. You can do that right now in your own heart with your own prayer. And you can do that right now in this place and profess Christ to the world. You can do that.
If that's what God calls you to do, you do it. Don't, don't walk out of here refusing to listen. Listen to what God is saying. And I'm talking to me too.